We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, May 30th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. We have a ton to get to. Um, this was probably going to be a long podcast either way when we were just going to talk about the end of the conference final series uh, and you know preview the NBA finals, which begin about 27 hours from now uh, as we record on Wednesday afternoon. Um, but then maybe one of the weirdest stories, if not the weirdest story of the year, if not the weirdest story in the last five years of non on court, um, you know, NBA related things, uh, came about last night. Um, so we'll, we'll go into full depth on that. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the end of, of both game sevens. Obviously it's been a, a few days since those went down, so I won't spend too much time there, but we'll preview the finals. Um, you and I haven't talked in a while. I did a podcast with James last week. You were out of the office yesterday, yep. um, long weekend with it being Memorial Day, but how's everything going? It's going well. Um, got to watch, um, I got to watch both game sevens with my family and my, uh, like my, my family's friends who, mm-hmm. you know, like 50 year old guys who watch like 20 NBA games a year always have sure. some hot takes. Mm-hmm. Um, about like illegal screens, 
Um, why is everyone shooting so many threes? Right. That's that's very shocking to people who don't watch a lot of NBA. Yeah. Um, yeah, I watched both games um, back at my parents' house as well. My dad does not follow the NBA whatsoever. <laughs> um, I don't really think he fully knew, like, the context of LeBron and you know his history so I kind of found found myself filling him in on, on a lot of that throughout the game um but I'm, I'm also podcasting hurt today um actually just sore we are my sand volleyball team took a tough loss last night oh, man. to uh Andrew Parr who oh, works with yeah. us in the office his girlfriend's team absolutely destroyed us 3-0 lost all three games um are, i had a poor you, showing i was gonna say you feeling it your legs like the sand can really yeah legs back um back. i took a couple a couple hard serves like off the wrist that can get not you. exactly i think you want it more you, in the forearm area you, you um, gotta you gotta get those like the old school nba where they all used to wear the fuzzy like forearm like the ben bands wallace. the ben yeah, wallace the ben you wallace need to get bands, those going on called. your forearms yeah. and wrists yeah, kind of like a like an NFL cornerback in like 2007. Yep, 100%. Yeah, I, I actually had some of those for when I used to play football. Yeah, break um, them out. Yeah, well, they, I don't have them anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we the team we lost to, aside from having uh, Andrew's girlfriend, had a guy who was like in his mid to late 40s probably, and was one of the most like ripped people period that i've seen he popped a shirt off between games one and two he had dual knee braces um so we were it was kind of over before it started honestly as soon as that guy walked out Uh, a couple housekeeping items today's harrison barnes 26th birthday um, I knew you were wondering about that. I, always. More importantly, though, uh, it's Rasho Nesterovich's 42nd birthday. Mm. Uh, and as everyone knows, he was uh, actually, he became the future first rounder that the Bucks acquired in the Ray Allen deal during the 96 draft that, that ended up getting them Ray Allen and a future first. That, of course, turned out to be Nesterovich. They traded it before they drafted him. Uh, but... He went 17th overall in 1998. That was the tractor-trailer draft. I think people kind of remember it as that. Yeah, you have to. Rasha Nesterovich is 99th on the NBA's all-time blocks list. That's... And he is sixth. Uh, he was sixth in total personal fouls in 2001-2002. So those were kind of his big claims to fame. 99th isn't bad. Like, no, that's way higher than I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his stats right now. Uh, he had one year where he averaged like 11 a game points not blocks yeah <laughs> uh he had a stretch from like 03 to 06 where he's averaging like two and a half blocks per 36 yeah uh, i don't know one of the nba's 50 greatest players rasha nesterovich he's balding in his um yeah. in his basketball reference i saw picture. that that was like clearly he did not submit that photo that was a poor choice no it was um okay let's get into the colangelo stuff um I mean, at this point, if you pay even like peripheral attention to the NBA or, or sports in general, you probably know the basis um, of this whole story. Basically, The Ringer um, tweeted what amounts, I guess, to an investigative report, uh, albeit yeah. one that's like uniquely <laughs> tailored to 2018. Um, and essentially, it accuses, uh, in a roundabout way, Jerry Colangelo, excuse me, Brian Colangelo, the Sixers GM, of operating five burner accounts um colangelo is, you know before the story was published and this is all borne out in the story admitted to operating one of those accounts denied any involvement any knowing of the other four mm-hmm. <laughs> the tweets and again if you if you've been on twitter in the last 24 hours you've probably seen them range from bizarre to completely inane to relatively innocuous to getting trying to get random married men to date his daughter yeah um, but again, it's important to note that, that Colangelo himself claims that 
he wasn't involved in in most of those because the the tweets from which the like the most deranged <laughs> tweets are coming from the accounts from which those are coming from are the ones that he's denied knowing about the one that he did own up to like was pretty mild yeah in the in the grand scheme of things um but again if you read the story and you read the the twitter slew thing that's been happening since it's very clear that if brian colangelo was not operating them then somebody very close to him was like he's he's some somehow connected like there's a, a world in which he didn't know about these but that would mean that someone who you know is privy to information that really only brian colangelo and a few other people would be privy to is doing this um and the theories have, have kind of run everywhere um i guess i'll let you take it from here what are your thoughts i know you have quite a few i <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah um <laughs> i'm actually gonna head out for a little bit yeah <laughs> um yeah this is i mean this is completely ridiculous like the fact that he immediately admitted to operating one of them is i, I feel like that's one of those things that it's like a pr thing where it's like well if we admit that he's operating one then like they'll ignore they'll think the other ones aren't him uh and I, like the, the the tweets are just insane like especially like he was at one of the accounts was just like badgering philly reporter keith pompey to be like you need to ask a bunch of the you know people in the philly organization about jaleel the trade that fell through about jaleel okafor like that he failed a physical and that's why the trade fell through and that the team wasn't mentioning it to not throw Jaleel under the bus, but he was like, he kept, and, and, and like so many of the Twitter accounts were saying, like Brian Colangelo is a stand-up guy, real right. class act. His swag is one hundred. Like you know, like I, I don't even. It's what is this? Well, what it comes, what it comes down <laughs> to is that there are a few key points. One is that yes, the, the accounts are overwhelmingly, and this I'm sure this is just a coincidence. They're overwhelmingly pro Colangelo. Yeah. Which, if you paid attention to Philly, particularly you know 76ers sports in the last year or two, that's not an overwhelmingly popular opinion. Not you know, at that all. this guy is doing a great job. Um, so you could see where the motivation might come from. Um, you know, and it's I think for for lay people like ourselves, it's weird to think that someone with that much power and that much wealth and that much, you know, instability in the game of, of basketball, given his family's reputation, his dad basically owns USA basketball at this point. Um, it's weird to think that someone would need to do this, um, especially using these accounts, which, you know, I, I mean, honestly, if you're if you're listening to this and are at all confused, I would just tell you to read the ringer report pause this read the report and then you know uh pick back up because there's too much information it took me like a half hour to read this This is a long story it was there's a lot of information in there that we're not just going to talk through but basically the accounts are like any account you know they they have like random profile photos the usernames are you know uh, basically essentially a random word followed by a bunch of random numbers like the type of accounts that if you click like a sports center tweet yeah and, and just read through the responses for fun it's like those accounts accounts that no one in their right mind would take seriously which is why all these times that he's tweeting at established beat reporters nobody even thought twice you know to to look into these things because why would you um so it, it, like a lot of ways it just doesn't make sense because like if you're going to go on the offensive you know to defend yourself why are you doing it with accounts that no reasonable person would consider credible yeah and i so like the connections, the connections on some of these tweets are like so random, not random, but like, so for example, they, the Eric Jr. account 
criticizes, along with just caring a lot about Philadelphia basketball, also criticized Masai Ujiri a lot. Like, who um, Ujiri replaced Colangelo in, in Toronto. And there's a tweet where um, a, uh, I think this is a, a Raptors reporter just tweets, 109-104, Celtics over Raps, great game, tough loss. To which Eric Jr. replies, when is somebody going to hold Ujiri accountable for not even trying to make the team better, patience or ineptitude? And it's like there's just a bunch of Philadelphia stuff and then just mm-hmm. this random slamming of Ujiri. It, it's not it, – it just has to be someone like Colangelo related. Plus all the, the – they follow a bunch of right. you know um, accounts related to people who – Colangelo's son and, and that's the other thing there's so there's five total accounts like you said the eric jr account and I've, this just all feels like we're recording like a serial episode right it does. now it's like <laughs> the neat the nisha call the eric jr account is like the star of this show i guess the, the protagonist of all these accounts that has the most inflammatory remarks <laughs> but all of them if you look at the tweets you use like the same type of prose the same like ridiculous misspellings and weird punctuation and random capitalization and yeah. things like that they all they have very similar overlap in terms of followers, including some of those uh, and following, yeah. including some of the people they're following are people that like only the Colangelos would know, you know, like random people who play on the same team as Colangelo's son who plays at the University of Chicago. You know, yeah. It's not like his son plays at Kentucky and they're following John Wall. Um, so it's clearly a connection to the family. I saw there's, there's a theory. That's where we're at. There are now theories to this whole thing that Jerry Colangelo himself, uh, Brian's father, would be operating these accounts, um, which, I mean, there's really no pure evidence of that, but um, as some Reddit users have laid out pretty cleanly, it it would make some semblance of sense. Um, And I'll direct you to Reddit, of course, pretty easy to find if you want to read up on that. But to me, that makes sense because, as I was telling you before we, we went on air here, the way that the tweets are worded is exactly like the cliche way that you would expect like your grandfather to tweet if he had a Twitter account. Yep. And Jerry Colangelo is, I think, 77 or 78. And I don't know. I don't, I've never I've never seen him publicly tweet, but I would imagine <laughs> this is about how you tweet. And like to be operating five accounts and take the extreme care to use the same like... And again, these, this is just bizarre punctuation, rampant misspellings of easy words. Yeah. You know, it's like it, it reeks of someone who isn't experienced typing on a small phone or something like that. Um, so to me that, that would make some sense. Uh, but we should say the Sixers are, are conducting an investigation as we speak. I would imagine this will be resolved fairly quickly. I would imagine they probably already know the answer and are now figuring out the best way to disseminate it to the public. Cause I mean, I don't see what, what investigating really there is to do here. It seems like it would be a pretty open and shut case. Yeah. I mean, well, they already made all, all the accounts private. Right. Except one of them. But they didn't delete the accounts, which is odd to me. I Why think would you that's not too... Them? I mean, I, I, don't want, I don't know if that's too damning. Like, although making them private is like, it's almost the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's, if they're going to maintain and if Colangelo is going to maintain that he doesn't know what's up with them, and then if they're deleted, then somebody else deleted them. Right? Like... Yeah. It just seems I, like this is good, like... There's no one seems... We should say no one seems to believe Colangelo at all. No. Like, I mean team like other established team twitter accounts were tweeting jokes about this daryl morey and mark cuban were joking about it Woj was basically joking it'd be like prominent nba people and like that was another thing to me that 
you know, I don't have any connection to these GMs, but like, isn't it a little odd that other GMs without, without anything being proven, were already taking shots at this guy. Like, does, like, do you think if this happened to Daryl Morey, that other GMs would be coming out making fun of him? Like, I don't think so at all. And it, I do kind of wonder like what kind of respect he has. If like people yeah. aren't all that surprised that something like this might happen. That, that must be the case. I mean, I, it's, just, <laughs> I don't even know at this point, like you, as he, I, I don't even know. It's just so ridiculous because you would think that I just don't know why it's five different Twitter accounts. That's the thing. Don't you and just need one? 82? Don't you just need one? And yeah, but it's not exactly a secret that like even Adam Silver admitted to having a burner Twitter account to just like browse yeah. NBA Twitter. And so I think like it's not a super uncommon thing to like have you know have a Twitter account just to like look at like what people are saying about the team and just like and what everything like that but gms must know that i mean maybe they knew that you know jerry colangelo was like very much being it was what maybe they kind of knew like he was just actively tweeting just like random see the big issue is like it wouldn't even be a problem it would be strange but it wouldn't be a problem if he was just lurking or even right you know offering <laughs> you know random commentary that wasn't critical but to to poignantly criticize joel Embiid to essentially like there was one tweet saying that i like and again this is coming from this anonymous person whoever you believe it to be saying like i would trade Embiid for porzingis straight up like if that's what your gm is tweeting out under yeah. this veiled account that's pretty bizarre you know questioning Embiid's mentality questioning fultz you know and what happened with that whole situation um, like you said, criticizing Masai Ujiri. Like it would it'd be one thing if these were just if it was just a throwaway account and he was tweeting his thoughts on Pearl Jam or something like that. But <laughs> right. you know, like Embiid last night, as this was all happening, started tweeting about it. Like clearly, players are aware. Um, so now at this point, like the Sixers have no choice but to to do something about it. And I think, I, in my opinion, and this this really sucks for Colangelo if it's not him somehow is that the damage is already done, right? Like, in the mind of the public, you know, last night was too much of a, like, Twitter overload. Like, you can't just take all that back. Even if he's innocent, I think he'll always be the fake Twitter account guy. Yeah, you have to go through There has to be so much proof that it's not him at this point. Because, I mean, all the evidence points to the fact that it's him. Like, there's no, like, hard, like, you know, there's no hard evidence. We don't know 100% for a fact, but it's, at this point, it's going to be, harder to disprove i think than to prove that i mean it's yeah well every, he's guilty in the court of public opinion yeah and you he know, is the opposite of how it's supposed to work but that's not how things work on twitter he already admitted that one of them was his and so it's like well what are these other yeah. four nearly <laughs> follow the same people and that tweet the same thing nearly yeah. identical twitter accounts yep. what are those about then he never should have admitted the first one no you to me like in the the way it was written in the ringer article like to me i think he was like dumb enough to think that if he just accepted the blame for that one that people would just forget about the other four <laughs> right. you know and like it just that clearly backfired well they well it sounded like the ringer they hid the fact that they knew about three of them mm-hmm. to when they contacted the 76ers it right. sounded like they knew about all five but only confronted the 76ers Mm -hmm. about two or three of them and then kept tabs on the other ones. So I think Colangelo probably figured, oh, well, they only Mm -hmm. know about like two of these or whatever. And so maybe there's plausible deniability for one of these other accounts. 
or maybe worst case scenario, I can say, okay, yeah, the second one is mine. But then it turns out like, oh, we, we know about all of these. When some of the accounts remained active, private, albeit, but active after, after Colangelo <laughs> and the Sixers were informed that the ringer was investigating, yeah, they switched them to private, but then whoever was operating this account was still tweeting. <laughs> I, I mean, it's bizarre. It's one of the craziest stories in the NBA in a long time. Um, but that's enough background info. What, what happens now? So, like, if it's true, obviously they almost certainly have to let him go. You know, I mean, yeah, the I, outrage is going to be too far to criticize players like that. And I think the most damning one is to kind of he suggested that there was some like personal trauma with Markel Fultz. You know, like you start bringing mental health and things he, into it. Like that's just did. in the year twenty eighteen. That's just not going to work. Um, um, and he also wasn't exactly killing it either way. No. As a GM, you know, so it's you know it's not like you're you're firing a guy who's you know like. Like, if this happened to Danny Ainge, you know, you'd really have a conflict because the guy's been an incredible GM. But it's like, this almost gives Philly a reason if they wanted to, to push him out. And I don't know that they do, but like, clearly the fan base was more aligned with the previous GM. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone liked Hinky more and still does. Still does. I mean, you see all like the, you know, those Hinky died for our right. sins. No, and that's another thing that, like that the... bothered these Twitter accounts is they were, they were anti Fultz, anti Embiid, weirdly very pro Ben Simmons. Yep. anti-Masai Ujiri, and perhaps more than anybody, anti-Hinky. Right. And I think I would, I don't know how you not fire him. Because he's tweeting, so he's tweeting out, he's he's ta- taking shots at his own players, um, tweeting out that he would trade certain players, bashing a previous GM. Tipping the draft trade tipping with, the with dra- Tatum and Fultz. Yep. Talking about just other potential trades in general. Um, I, I don't know how you don't fire him. Yeah, I don't see any other way. Someone's getting fired. I mean, was, someone someone will get unless fired. This, unless this is all an elaborate hoax, which is possible, I suppose. Um, and even then, it would it would like I said, I think the damage in a lot of ways has still been done. Um, in the midst of all this, we should mention Brett Brown signed a three year extension he did. last night, <laughs> like right before all this happened, basically. Um, and like, I don't even know, like that barely, that barely grazed the timeline, but, uh, good for him. I think that's well-deserved. I don't, not many people would really debate that. Um, last thing on this, this is, this is just a funny hypothetical that I saw, uh, that asked, well, you asked this earlier. It's like, why come to the ringer? First of all, the ringer is a very respectable publication, but like not exactly a place you'd go for investigative journalism necessarily it just you know just doesn't have the reputation for things like that that yeah and espn um even sports illustrated something like that uh does so that was odd in the first place but you know whatever that, that the ringer is a top five nba outlet certainly so yeah. it's not that crazy but the but the question is and i saw people on twitter were asking this would the ringer uh given its uh inherent biases would the <laughs> ringer have run this if this was danny ainge instead of brian colangelo um I think it was so big that they would have to. Like, it would be bigger if it was Ainge, right? Because of the stuff you mentioned before, because it'd be like he's such a good GM. It would be it would be much more bizarre if. It and was then it'd be like he's also like drunk tweeting, right, just yeah. random nonsense. Yes. Um. That. I, but now it's like people. I, yeah, I think it would have been a bigger story if it was Ainge, so that they would have almost had their hands like right. forced. Um. I think they still would have done it, but it is it still is weird to me that, that this person chose to go with a ringer. I mean, maybe they thought they were the people at the ringer were more accessible. Like they could just easily like email them or DM them this information and it would it would get 
to these people faster rather than trying to like DM Woj mm-hmm. or someone who works at Sports Illustrated or something or worried that like that ESPN at, are are like too embedded within and the NBA itself and that it somehow get like covered up. That's true. I, I think speaking for myself, if I were someone who would discover something like this, I would view the ringer and the ringer's personalities as a little more approachable. Yeah. A little more, you know, we don't really know who this, the source was, but you know, a little more in tune with something like this, you know, Woj only uses Twitter to tweet out news. That's it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, ringer personalities, it, like it just seems like it would be more of a ringery type article, I guess. And maybe that's the yeah. thought. Like you're just hitting um, up some guy like, yeah, they're just right. like, they seem more yeah, approachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to be really interesting. I've kept Twitter up as we're recording because I mean, this is really a minute by minute thing. I mean, obviously it's slowed down now from where it was last night, but it's not like the Sixers have said, we're making an announcement on what we found on Friday. Like at any point we, we could really find out where this is going to go. Um, so it'll be certainly interesting to follow. Let's talk playoffs. Um, my first question to you, has this been from start to where we are now, has this been a satisfying NBA playoffs? I liked it. I, I think it was like, I, people, people said it was boring. I don't, I don't really think it was. We saw, we've seen a lot of game sevens. Yeah. Like we saw Milwaukee and Boston. That was a really good series. Indiana, Cleveland kind of like set the, I mean, the the whole Cleveland, I mean, just the, even the Cleveland side of the playoffs has been crazy. Like Indiana almost taking the series from them and then they end up sweeping Toronto and then Boston takes them to seven games. And like Houston inexplicably misses a bunch of open threes mm-hmm. and they lose the game in a game they could have won. Um and then in the West, like we got, we got seven games out of you know Golden State, uh, Houston, and um, the uh, the Pelicans swept the Blazers, which right. no one thought was coming. Like <laughs> I thought it was good. I got yeah. I think we got a very good first round, a better first round than anyone expected. Like no one was thinking that Indiana was going to take Cleveland to seven, so that turned out to be a better series. Uh, Milwaukee Boston I mean that was kind of up in the air but to get seven games out of that was good yeah I think people thought Philly Miami would be better and Philly winning it the way they did with those like four dominant wins yeah I think was was kind of a fun narrative it's it's easy to forget that like three weeks ago Philly was like a lock to go to the go to the title yeah (laughs) or go to the finals um that fell apart really quickly uh Toronto Washington was decent you know Golden State San Antonio sucked Houston Minnesota sucked but New Orleans beating Portland like as far as sweeps go that was like a fun sweep because it was so unexpected yeah and you know OKC crashing and burning I enjoy I yeah I like (laughs) I I root for those guys like I like Paul George I like Russ and it like you know it's kind of frustrating to see Russ go out like that two years in a row but you know, I mean, for for the doubters to be proved right is also kind of fun sometimes. Yeah. And then I thought we got a really bad second round. You know, like Utah comes in hot. They beat OKC. You know, they only give Houston a, a mild series. Mitchell's kind of in and out. Yeah, Mitchell got hurt and that, it kind of ruined yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, that was kind of it. Um, you know, New Orleans, I think they won game three of that series in yeah. New Orleans. And then, you know, it's like, all right, if they could win game four, maybe the way that Davis and holiday were playing. And then that, that kind of petered out. I think that was the series I watched the least of. Yeah. There was, those are always like weird game times. Too. Yeah. Um, and on those nights with three games, which seems like forever ago, <laughs> Cleveland, Toronto, 
Um, that was that fun. was actually really fun. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm like the most anti DeRozan Lowry guy out there. It's like that was so much fun to watch. Um, and then Boston, I mean Boston Philly, even with it being a five game series, was fun. You know, especially with the way that everyone expected Philly to just roll over them. Yeah, I mean that one. That was a five game series that felt like a seven game series to me. Right, because a lot of the games went down to the wire. You had yeah, the confetti was, thing that was yes, exactly. ridiculous. Yeah, to get a, to get moments like that, you know, even the Simmons one point game. You know, I would never root for a player to, to play poorly like that. But we got like good storylines out of what was otherwise a bad series. And then you get to the conference finals and you get two seven game series. Um, I mean, well, let's start with uh, let's start with Cleveland and Boston. Okay, that one was on Sunday night. At no point in that game, in that game seven, was I confident that the Cavs were going to win until George Hill caught the football pass from LeBron, um, or not the football pass, but caught it, kind of caught it over his shoulder yeah. and finished what was an underratedly really difficult uh, lefty layup with his right hand, or right-handed layup on the left side with Al Horford, you know, almost blocking it. Um, and then the next possession, of course, was the one that everyone's talked about where the Celtics missed, you know, two consecutive threes. I think, mm-hmm. well, I think Jalen Brown missed like a really bad step back, um, probably shot it a little sooner than he had to. And then LeBron, I think LeBron caught the Celtics off guard by not just getting that rebound and walking it up and killing time, which is what 99% of players would do. Right. Uh, but instead LeBron just takes off and you could see like Marcus Morris kind of like, Whoa, wait, is he actually going to do this? And like, I think, <laughs> The move, clearly, in retrospect, would have been to just foul LeBron in the backcourt, although I don't know if that would have been clear path. Um, what ultimately ends up happening is Marcus Morris tries to tackle him by both shoulders from behind. Yeah. <laughs> LeBron, I'm not totally sure the layup would have gone in if it wasn't goaltended. I don't think it was. Because Jalen Brown kind of slapped it, like, like almost pinned it between the rim and the backboard, and it kind of rolled in. Um, so that, I mean, that turned out to be... LeBron's had a lot of iconic moments, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit in these playoffs, but to win in Boston and then have that moment where I've, I've gone back and watched that play probably 10 times just to hear like the reaction from the crowd. Like, I don't even know how to describe the noise. Like it's not a cheer. It's not a, it's not booing. It's, it's just like an audible, like 20,000 people like groaning all at once and realizing like it's actually over at that point. So yeah, I mean for LeBron to hit those two big threes at the end of game six at home and then have that, you know, that finish to the game in Boston was, uh, was a lot of fun and I think and you know I'm a little bit jaded in this discussion so you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong but <laughs> I've gotten the impression in these playoffs that more and more people are really starting to come around on LeBron and I don't mean that he's better than Jordan but like people who even th- to this day had maintained that he's weak he's a pussy <laughs> he cries about calls he gets lucky he buys all of his teammates you know like if you're Celtics fans lead the charge in that but for him to come in there in game seven, play like that, you know, to have the two game winners that he's had in these playoffs, like the moments for LeBron, I think that the public remembers are starting to kind of stack up. And, you know, he's had some big moments, obviously, in his career, but we're, I think he's finally starting to get some like timeless type of highlights that you're going to see 20 years from now, you know, like Jordan had. Yeah. And um, he's... I, it's interesting because a lot of people like assume that he would either have to drop like 50 points to win these games and he still you know people uh get down on like well i, I mean everyone says the one of the worst teams if not the worst team lebron has ever had yes going into the you know trying to drag it to the finals but yet um he's still 
passes to them all the like he's still you know i mean he's still racking up like 10 assists a game yeah. a lot of these times he he always still trusts his teammates like you can say whatever you want about like you know lebron in press conferences always saying i instead of we or whatever but like when they're actually playing he right. he always he still gets everybody involved and when he needs to like every mm-hmm. he he'll he'll drag it on as long as like until it feels like it's about to be over and right. then all of a sudden he just does it it just seems like mm-hmm. exactly what he needs to do to win games yeah i mean game seven was really ugly first half i think the Cavs were for sure in the 30s in the first half and i, I don't know if boston was or not if they weren't they were in the low 40s um <coughs> excuse me and that that endured obviously throughout the entire game this was a this was very like Cavs pistons 2007 2008 type of game yeah um Corver was really bad surprisingly um i mean he had one big three coming off the screen like his toughest look at the night he drained but he missed i think he was one of seven from three for the game and missed a couple like wide open corner threes which he very rarely does luckily terry rosier had the worst game of his career marcus smart <laughs> finally started shooting like marcus smart jalen brown was really really bad which is tough to see because I, I like jalen brown a lot and like, yeah. he's been freaking awesome for them in the playoffs but he he looked like he was doing a little too much um took some really bad shots in the second half um and weirdly enough here we are with like the Cavs winning a game with defense yeah know? and a lot of that was just boston missing opening threes like let's not misconstrue it but at the same time like they they've won this series and they've won the indiana series by playing much better defense than we saw them play at any point during the regular season lebron's offensive rating is is better in these playoffs than it was in 2016 when they won it all it's been it's been about defense for them strangely enough yeah and um it was re- i mean with love going out and like you with jeff jeff green like really stepped up and he's been you know people have been uh down on jeff green no, for obvious no, reasons what? couldn't be me <laughs> but he i mean he's actually he's really stepped up and um he's you know he's good on defense as far as like he can you can switch with him and you know he's you're not gonna run him over or anything like that uh he's still good for like two and one egregious foul oh, sure. game sure um but yeah i mean it's the i mean the team theoretically has good defenders on it um and they finally yeah they finally stepped up um the tr- the the reemergence of tristan thompson as a rotation player is like huge yes um just because the cat more than anything they just need bodies like if tristan thompson was still wallowing in self-pity or whatever it was like they would have no big men and you know with especially with kevin lovehurt like they they need him to not only you know be effective but just to play 25 minutes so they can guard guys like al horford yeah and they've gotten like some are you know uh tyloo finding ways to get larry nance in the game um like he's been very hit or miss but he like was those- bad in game seven but I, offensively he was bad on defense in game seven but offensively just having someone who can catch and dunk the ball and not have to think about it like tristan thompson often does and shuffle your feet and stuff like that like that's huge and lebron at the end of game seven had a, a couple passes to to nance to kind of help seal the game yeah yeah having an act like a truly athletic like rim running center power forward whatever you want to call him out there is mm-hmm. is big um but yeah it's just it, it, some combination it just seems like only you know two of the five you know, like, like a, of the players that the Cavs got in that trades that they made, only like two of those five guys show up on any given night. And if I mean, that. in any given, yeah, I would say one zero to one in any given night. Like George Hill 
since he had the back issues against Indiana, has been pretty good. He had some shaky games on the road. George Hill was plus 24 yeah. in Game 7. which And he was great in those Cle- those games in Cleveland. Um, but, I mean, Hood is just – he's a lost cause at this point. He barely played – I mean, I don't even think he played 10 total minutes in that series. Jordan Clarkson um, – Jordan Clarkson has the same playoff usage rate as Clay Thompson. Mm. Um, they're taking exactly the same number of shots per 100 possessions. Not Jordan Clarkson has a 3.8 PER. Just want to repeat oh, that wow. for effect. 3.8 PER <laughs> and has like a 20 some percent usage rate. He is he shoots every time he he is like pound for pound might be the worst player in a rotation in the NBA. You know, I thought he was all right. Like I didn't realize he was this bad when he played for L.A. He wasn't this bad in LA. That's the thing. Yeah. And, but it, you just see it every time. Like he gets the, they just run a lot of pick and rolls. He gets the pick. He kind of like inches forward. There's just a guy in front of yes. him. He's just like, well, I could either move backwards, try to make a pass. Nah, eh, I'll nah. just shoot it. And his legs are always in like an X shape as he's shooting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just not like nothing about it screams like, oh, he's got this one. Like, yeah. so it looks bad. It comes off the hand bad. It <laughs> rims out. Um, yeah, I mean, before we talk about the finals, which is, you know, that that's a, I think that's a, a foregone conclusion, at least to me, and I think to you as well, what's going to happen there. Rockets-Warriors game seven. I mean, the question we have to ask is, would the Rockets have won the series with CP? You get one shot at the Warriors in Oakland, one shot at the Warriors in Houston after going up 3-2. I mean, I... I was I picked the Warriors to win the series in five, so like I never was a huge believer in Houston, but... I mean, what did I tell you this morning? I think if Paul plays both of those games, there's like a 60% chance at least that the Rockets win. I mean, they they were within five or seven, like late in the fourth of game seven while having a horrific shooting performance and not, you know, obviously not having CP. Right. I mean, they they really, I mean, they could have won. They could have won game seven. It really just came down to they had the worst shooting performance of like any team ever in the playoffs from three. Um and yeah i mean i think if they had chris paul they i think it's a fairly because a lot of so to me watching it a lot of what happened was like you could feel it kind of unraveling you could feel it unraveling in the third quarter which is like such a classic like golden state always wins the third quarter but i feel like it it felt like houston started settling to just just shoot way too soon in the shot clock it felt like they for the first half were running this like great offense where they the normal offense that they always run with right. you got capello at the pick and rolls you got guys doing pick and pops they get the switch hargan tries to cook kevin looney uh or steph courier whoever and then all of a sudden that just like went away in the second half and for an entire quarter they just started bombing threes and stuck of actually running like pick and rolls and trying to like you know maneuver not even necessarily just get to the rim but like just run some sort of action one or two actions like an offense it just didn't feel like it was happening and um then golden state got hot and you either you, you can't survive you shooting poorly and golden state getting hot you can probably survive one of the two um i don't know it just i i still i swear they could have won this game which they is really frustrating a, you're saying without cp they were still in a decent position to win it oh uh, yeah 100 yeah. i agree they they got two three-point happy. They missed 27 in a row. Yeah. Um, and they were – a lot of them were really good looks. That's what was hard about it. I mean, I think Harden took some ridiculously bad shots all series. I mean, he, he 
he's it seemed like he's he started to get away from creating separation and would just like walk into these like yeah. crazy contested threes to the point where i'm watching like how is he even getting these off like he's got a hand right in his face yep. it looks like the shot's going to get blocked and you can tell he kind of has to push it a little bit more i mean he was bad from three two of 13 but i mean trevor reza was zero of nine and a lot of those were wide open gerald green was one of four he took some terrible ones during that that 27 straight misses Eric Gordon, it felt like, was having a really good game. And then after the game, you look, and he's 2 of 12 from 3. Um, and you say, we can say this all the time, but like Houston had by far its worst shooting performance of the entire season. Um, and I, I honestly didn't feel like Golden State's defense was like that big of a part of it. I mean, they certainly no. defended well, but it's not like... I mean, to get off 44 looks, like you have to be relatively open. Um, I mean, if they make 3 or 4 more of those, they don't even have to shoot well. If they shoot like... 20% from three instead of 16%, you know, you sprinkle those three or four makes in at any point throughout the game, it's a lot different. And I think they'll be thinking about that all summer. Yeah, that's why it was bothering me is because I didn't feel like Golden State was, I didn't feel like Golden State's defense was the reason that mm-hmm. Houston was missing these no. shots or, you know, settling for these looks. And that's a, that, that's the thing about having Chris Paul. It's like, I, I think he would have been the difference from the perspective of he could have prevented Harden from taking a yes. lot of those just like random, I don't know, random might not be the right word, but just like bad looks. Um, like he yeah. could, he would have been the like good veteran presence to have to just be like, oh, let's run an offense. Well, let's. instead of attempting a three for the seventh straight possession, maybe he just attacks and gets to the line. You know, that's yeah. all like, obviously the Rockets needed to make more shots, but the other thing they needed to do was just run offense you know every now and then just to just to like get a look and get some confidence and it, it seemed like you know i think d'antoni probably could have called another timeout or two during that span yeah um but it, it did just seem like they were settling for bailout shots at like the worst possible time to be taking those shots i also think houston houston had a really good chance to win game six and i think they set themselves up for losing game seven partially because you're up 17 points yeah. at the end of the first quarter on the Golden State Warriors in game six. Made not to lose for the entire game. Got outscored 64 to 25 in the second half and ended up losing by, what, almost 30 points. And I feel like that second half, it, it's, maybe it's not fair to say it bled into game seven because Houston played well in the first half. I mean, they were leading by, what, I think 11 at halftime of game seven. But, you know, to be drastically outscored two games in a row in the second half, um, and like we said, I mean, it was clear that they they got away from what they do, you know, in, in the third and fourth quarters, even if that didn't mean stylistically. I mean, obviously, they always shoot threes, but um, they were settling for looks that I think they wouldn't have settled for oftentimes during the season. Yeah. Um, OK, so, oh, I want to talk about P.J. Tucker real quickly. He was awesome. All series. Yeah. Um, he shot. I think he shot like 48 percent from three. He didn't take all that many, but was incredible on D, was incredible on the boards. And today it was reported that, I think this was from Jonathan Fegan, Houston Chronicle, um, apparently he got three root canals between game six and seven and yep. still played game seven. And you never would have known, didn't even tell anybody on the team, which is about the most P.J. Tucker thing there is. Yeah. Um, the Raptors, well, he, he could have stayed on the Raptors. They, I think the money that they, they offered him. They give him that extra year. Yeah. Yeah, Houston gave him the third year, I think. Um where, where were you out on the refs? People were very upset at the referees in Game 7. Oh, um, that's actually a good point. I remember being really upset. It got pretty bad for a while. I mean, it definitely wasn't the reason that they lost, but it was some in the third quarter especially, some extreme pro-Golden State calls. There were two... I think Hargan could have shot six more free throws in a span yeah. of 
like I think one quarter. He got one where it was it's a classic like James Hargan or just really like any three point shooting ball handler at this point. They get the screen. One of the guys on defense comes up and sticks his hand out, and then you just shoot. Yeah. You shoot immediately into the arm. The NBA almost always calls that a shooting foul. Almost always calls it, and they did not call it. I can't remember what quarter it was, but Hargan did it. He got fouled. The only reason he hit whoever's arm it was was because he was shooting. And it's like if it wasn't a shooting foul, then there shouldn't have been. Then what is it? Because the only reason he made contact was because he was in the shooting motion. So that was really frustrating. Um, the there, moving screen. Well, uh, there were multiple moving screens, but there was one Jordan Bell. This is right in the midst. I think it was the three that the Warriors took the lead on in the third quarter, which Steph kind of went on a personal 11-0 run, hit one from one corner, and then you know they started kind of running this play where, where Steph would give up the ball, cut to the hoop, and then make an L cut right to the corner. Yep. And Jordan Bell would either get the ball or set the screen. And if he had the ball, he would just drop it a couple times. He just dropped it between his legs right. you know, for, for Curry to get a look. So he does that and then just grabs, I don't remember who, I think it was Harden actually defending, just grabs him and like hits him like a like a NFL like run blocking <laughs> sled and just clears him right out right in front of the referee right in front of a bench um and like every like it was I think it was in front of the Houston bench like everybody is you know screaming for the call and the ref you know doesn't even look their way walks down like that I mean I wouldn't I don't think the NBA is rigged I think it's ridiculous to suggest anything like that but uh that was that was one of the worst calls you know one of the worst missed calls i can remember seeing in a situation like that especially because there had been a couple very questionable ones right before that yeah you know where you'd think at least putting myself in the shoes of a ref you'd at least kind of have that in the back of your mind yeah i don't think it's a lot of people have like the nba is rigged a lot of people say that i don't think so i do so hard to rig a game so many people would have to be in on it i do think the refs swallow their whistle a lot um the eric gordon drive where they showed the replay and he was like clocked on the arm was that with two people yeah 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 to be fair like from the angle that you're watching live it looked like maybe they just kind of smothered him wasn't but the the ref the angle that the ref had it would not have looked like that yeah and i remember i think it was the low post (laughs) zach low had on i forget which referee um was it monty mccutcheon yeah i think because they made him the direct they made him yeah yeah that that was a very good pod i remember that one yeah and he Lowe is like a very much an advocate of like the the ref swallowed the whistle a lot and he confronted you know yeah. and and it was like that doesn't happen like it happens like you it see happened. it you you see it in like these these yeah. game sevens where it's like yep I, I don't i don't want to say the calls on both sides didn't even out in some way but like i really throughout the at least the first half i felt houston got screwed on oh yeah mate definitely like potentially six points there, yeah, the the one that you referenced earlier, the Harden one, was right before the half, and it it made a difference. I think it's Golden State ended up getting a bucket after that, and it was basically the difference between being up fourteen versus being up eleven. Oh, I remember the other one I'm thinking about the shot clock violation. Yes, yes, the horn went off. The ball, the ball hit the rim. Is that what happened? The ball hit the rim, but the horn went off, or it didn't hit the rim. Either way, exactly. Okay, so the horn goes off for a shot clock violation but the ref does not blow the whistle and then uh Hughes, golden state ends up getting the ball and d'antoni is mad because the horn went off so it's a shock it it was a incorrect shot clock violation mm-hmm. so houston should have got the ball back because the horn went off when it shouldn't have right and instead the ref is like i didn't blow the whistle so there was no shot clock violation and D'Antoni was like, but yeah. the horn went off. Yeah. And the ref is like, but I didn't blow my whistle. And 
so everyone's just like standing around like what, yeah. what is this and at one point i actually saw it i didn't see anybody reference it the there was another situation pre before that where there was a shot clock uh like mishap where it got reset mm-hmm. when it shouldn't have been and after the the call where the horn went off and they didn't blow the whistle the ref went over to the scores table and slapped the scores table really hard and i think like was getting into the the guy controlling the buzzer I was like, mm-hmm. you're blowing it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you literally have one job to do in yeah. this game. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I don't think I would never, ever think that the, that the NBA is rigged. I think that's kind of ridiculous. I think the, it was just frustrating. I wasn't really rooting for either team. Like I really don't care. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it would affect the finals in terms, you know, whatever team won that series is going to win the finals. Um, but I think the majority of people, you know, like, everyone knows the Warriors have all the talent. A lot of people think that they, you know, went about it in nefarious ways to get all that talent. And it's like, okay, you really need the refs on your side too. Like on top of that, like, I think that's where the frustration stems from is like, not only does this team have the best roster ever, they have the best injury luck in terms of opponents getting hurt and, you know, have, have this pro whistle. And again, it's only one scenario. There have certainly been times where the, where the whistles have gone the other way, but the injury luck was something I wanted to touch on too. Like, you know, the Golden State's had their own injuries. Steph Curry's always seemingly banged up coming into the playoffs. Durant last year, um, not an injury, but Draymond getting suspended in the finals two years ago. But looking back, like 2015, the Cavs took them to six games with LeBron and no one else. LeBron and Delhi. There's no Kevin Love and no Kyrie in that series, and obviously no Kevin Durant in that series. So like, it's very easy to, easy to think that had one of Love and Kyrie played, especially Kyrie, yeah. that Cleveland could have probably won that series. Obviously, last year, it's Kawhi. Now, this year, you go down 3-2, and the guy who really kind of willed the team, you know, that's up 3-2, to that victory goes down, you know, with a minute left in the game. Yeah. Um, the nice thing, I guess, for Golden State is that, like, nobody's ever going to discount these titles and be like, oh, they only won because Paul was hurt, because they are the best team. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, this was probably going to happen anyway. Um, but it is a little bit uncanny that this continues to happen. And, yeah. you know, the Kawhi one was probably the most damning just because, like, Technically, I guess you could argue the Warriors caused that one. Yeah. It's not like they injured Paul. You know, I think that was just kind of a free hamstring yeah. thing. Well, Paul's leg was hurt all year, right. so it was already. I yeah. also don't buy, like, I mean, maybe there's some science behind this, but I don't buy the, like, De- D'Antoni should be blamed for playing Paul too many minutes. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, was Chris Paul's hamstring, like, ready to snap at any point in that series? Maybe. I It just seemed like he was. he went up for a routine layup and came up lame. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't see how you can really prevent against that. I think, yeah, people kind of get on him for doing the ISO basketball, like wearing on him, like Paul and Harden too much. But the thing is, like a lot of those scenarios where it's like if Paul's isolating it, like when the Warriors play, everybody's running around and like constantly running and everything like that. But when the Houston Rockets are going and Chris Paul's isolating, James Harden's just standing there getting rest. So it's like, I don't really know, like, how can you, I don't really know what the difference in rest is between slightly jogging for most of the like running slash jogging for most of the game compared to like standing for the occasional possession and not literally not doing anything and then switching on defense to like prevent you know fighting through stuff i just really i i think that's like the i I don't want to call that an issue at all um i think that yeah i I think they i mean they clearly just could they could have won they could have won the series they they just missed a lot of open threes um and I, I don't want to blame D'Antoni for, you know, pushing like Paul and Hargan too hard, doing like isolation basketball all year or anything like that. 
Yeah, it, it did. It did seem that, you know, I think especially in the the early phases of this um, of this series where it looked like Houston, you know, might get their doors blown off in four or five. You know, it was a lot of people were criticizing the ISO and a lot of people were saying this is how they played all year, which is very true. Um, I think there was like a misconception that they play like the Warriors just because they shoot a lot of threes. Um, and that's really not <laughs> clearly was not the case. No, um, but it, it did seem like Harden especially took the ISO to an extreme it, just in terms of like the shot clock too. like he kept putting himself and LeBron does this as well all the time. Um, but Harden was doing it, you know, too early in quarters uh, for my liking, at least you know, run the shot clock down to three seconds oh, to the yeah. point where you have to get off a horrible step back three or you have, you know, or it's just going to be a violation. And like, to me, I, I didn't see the strategy in doing that. You know, if you're up 15 with four minutes left, sure. Run the shot clock down all you want. If you're up five with three minutes left in the third quarter, I don't see the benefit of doing that. No, I don't either. Um, okay. Let's talk finals. Um, I am of the belief that th- this is going to be a four game sweep. I think it's going to be the biggest, blowout we've seen in the <laughs> okay. finals i think I, the nice thing is i think lebron has reached immunity now um yeah unless he comes out and shoots like 20 percent for the series and just i think the worst thing that he could do i guess in terms of perception would be to like clearly give up right um like if it's if he just has one of those games where you know if they're down 2-0 and he just kind of like no shows game three people will get on him but as long as he puts in about 80 percent effort um and the, this these games go the way that the rest of the Cavs games have gone where he plays well nobody else plays well like he's a kind of in a no-lose situation if they win it's the greatest accomplishment in NBA history <laughs> if they right. lose it's what's supposed to happen and honestly at this point I don't know that another finals loss especially to this team matters like the LeBron's finals record you know that that story is out there if you're one of the people who's going to hold that against him you already are going to and another loss I don't think really makes a difference um but yeah i think i think this is warriors and four and i I honestly don't think any game is going to be close um i i generally i almost never predict sweeps so i go warriors and five which i think is when we started the when we did that round table is what i ended up saying um although i i picked philly to go to the finals so i can't really Uh, hey i regretted not picking philly at one point (laughs) i was i was like sitting there i I picked toronto to go to the finals that's much worse i was so close to picking houston philly um but yeah either way i you're right about lebron somewhat being infallible like because at he you know he passes enough to where if his teammates start bricking everyone's gonna be like well lebron could have had this many assists his teammates just failed him and they'd be like well lebron should take every shot and then if LeBron plays 48 minutes and takes 45 shots, they're going to be like, well, LeBron can't do this every game because this is no man. Can, nobody can do this. Mm-hmm. This is not sustainable. And then it's like, well, now he's got to start passing again. And those teammates, it's just like he's you're almost like you said, like there's it's almost a no. It's a no win situation kind of for LeBron, but a no lose situation in terms of his legacy. I don't think mm-hmm. like he has nothing. He has nothing to lose by and like you said, unless he openly gives up, which I don't think he'll do. I don't do. think he will either. I think it's. I don't. I don't think he's at risk of doing that in the finals. No, not in the finals. Yeah. Um, my argument for why they're not even going to get a game: the the Cavs last year, they did blow out the Warriors in Game Four. They scored 137 points. They, I believe, set a finals record for made threes. They had 24 made threes in that game. Kyrie had 40. LeBron had 31, 11, and 10. Like it took. A historic Kyrie game, a historic shooting night by that team to get that win. Kyrie is obviously gone. 
the rest of the supporting cast is either moved on or regressed from where they yeah. were last year. <laughs> and the Warriors are just as good, if not better. You know, they're maybe not as deep, but they're they have another year of continuity. Um, I mean, KD was was banged up going into the playoffs last year. There was that whole stretch that he'd missed. Like it just it's really hard to find a, like a true genuine reason to believe that Cleveland could compete in this series, let alone win one game. Yeah, I don't know. Are they just going to put Draymond on LeBron, or what are they going to do? Because I don't know. Iguodala is the guy, obviously. If he's Iguodala healthy, is the guy. Even if he does play, I don't think they'd do a lot of Iggy on LeBron in game one because I don't think Iggy would be 100%. No. If he's 100%, he's the guy. I mean, Durant, I think, would happily guard him. The thing the thing about the Warriors, like you don't want LeBron guarding Durant because LeBron has to do so much on offense. You don't really have to worry about that. You can put KD on LeBron because you have three other guys yeah. that can carry the offense. You know, like it's not as big of a risk for them. There's a couple of times like last year where KD really just like crossed up LeBron like yeah. very hard and yeah. LeBron kind of left LeBron in the dust. You don't want LeBron to have to try to do that. Nope. You, put, you put LeBron on Draymond or something. Yeah, just I think have you do that. Just, like, They're going to let Draymond shoot 23s a game if he you, wants. You could, I mean, you could have LeBron play like defensive free safety I think if, you will, yeah. on, if you put him on Draymond. Yeah, I mean, he has. It doesn't seem like he's had as many like steals or runouts in these playoffs against Toronto. He did because it was Toronto, yeah. and that's that's the other takeaway from this whole series. Like the Raptors are terrible. <laughs> like the Cavs clearly are not good, and the Raptors to get swept by this team. Um, like somehow they've like continued to like, take pile up the losses, even like weeks well, see, after they done Jerry's like, fault, worse, right? It gets good words and worse for them. Um, yeah, I don't defensively. I mean, you just kind of pray for the best, to be honest. So you, you're not a team like Houston. I thought Houston defended their asses off that whole series. I thought Harden was as good as you could ask on D. I mean, like I already talked about Tucker, Ariza, and I mean, the Warriors, like the Cavs defense compared to what the Warriors just went up against against Houston. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit worried for like, there, there might be like a 71 to 35 halftime score in this series. The, I mean, I think the only, if if you're Cleveland, I think your only real advantage is your like the physicality that you have compared to, and it's not even drastic, but it's like LeBron can clearly like push around Kevin Durant if he needed to. Yeah. Draymond, that's what you might want to put Draymond on LeBron for that reason. But like Tristan Thompson, I think Tristan Thompson could actually end up having like a pretty good series offensive rebounding wise because if they. Mm-hmm. If the Warriors want to switch everything or switch a lot of things, I don't know if they will, then you could end up with, like, I, I don't know who can box out Tristan Thompson other than mm-hmm. Draymond Green. So, you Yeah, know, I think they'll, they'll give Nance his chance to do the same thing. Just Nance, literally just run in there and try to tip the ball up and see what you can do. You figure LeBron, yeah, on defense, maybe just try to push him around a lot. Because, yeah, George Hill's, like, you mm-hmm. know, relatively, he's, got, he's bulky, can maybe push guys around. I think that's your only chance against the Warriors because mm-hmm. I think that's what throws them off kilter is just the physicality because they're just they just run around they try to avoid contact and if you can just bump into them even get them into the bonus by just like just getting under their skin a little bit i think that's almost how you have to play because you know you have less talent you just kind of have to just i don't know push them around yeah i i do think i i wouldn't say the public has like turned on the warriors at all um but i do get this like if you're unless you're like a just born you know died in the wool lebron hater you're going to be rooting for the Cavs, right like if you're an impartial observer like 
I don't see how, I mean, rooting for the Warriors, I guess, would, would be fun because you're just going to automatically win the series. But I, I would imagine if you're a not, if you're like a, nah, I was going to say a Raptors fan, <laughs> if you're like a Grizzlies <laughs> fan or a Magic fan, if those exist, or a Hornets fan, like you're probably, you're rooting for LeBron to like win a game or two in the series, I would think. It's, yeah, I was thinking about it. It's it's kind of ironic because it's it's like a David versus Goliath thing. Yeah. Except LeBron James just happens to be David in this situation. Like you don't think right. of him as like he's the both underdog. Goliath and David. He is both Goliath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just kind of like it's the best team versus the best man. Like, and mm-hmm. so you, I think people love the underdog story in general. Right. And so they kind of just like, what if this one guy? What if this one person yeah. could take down the greatest team in basketball? And, and it, of course, there are the people out there who will say, well, if he's if he's the best player, then why can't he be? <laughs> right. I heard I've heard that from a number of my close friends back home. Who, <laughs> I think at this point, just root against LeBron just to upset me. Uh, so the Warriors are 12 and a half point favorites in game one. That's a laughably high line, but I think could honestly be set higher. And it already has climbed since it opened at 12. Okay. I I said this the other day to a, to one of my friends as kind of a joke. But the more I thought about it, it really wasn't a joke. <laughs> I think the Cavaliers could pick up any single player in the NBA, non-Warrior. So no Durant, no Clay, no Draymond, and no Steph. They could pick up any other player in the league, and still I would not pick them to win the series. Is that R- fair? Any, pl- any like player? Anthony Davis. Is LeBron and Anthony Davis and George Hill and Jeff Green and Tristan Thompson better than Durant, Curry, Thompson, Green, and Iggy? I don't think so. I don't. But and we- if it's not Davis, who else are you picking up? Um, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's that that's there's think, that much of a disparity here. I, I I don't think I would agree with you. I think okay. if they picked up Anthony Davis, that they could do it. I think it. I think they could do it. I'm just saying I wouldn't pick them. I would still pick the Warriors. <laughs> it's not inconceivable. Like LeBron and Davis take them to at least six. I just don't. I, I, might, just, I would I still might, pick the Warriors. I don't know. I might pick the Cavs if Anthony Davis was on that team. If you Is had Anthony Davis else? and Kevin Love and LeBron, I think that three. Yeah, okay, I guess I forgot about the... I was just assuming Love is injured, but I, th- I think he'll be back game two at the latest. Yeah. If not game one. Okay, yeah, I mean... It, if, if Kevin Love wasn't there, then I give... Like, I, I 100% give you that. Okay. I mean, I, but I would also argue that Kevin Love just hasn't been that good. Is there any other player besides Davis that would even make this a series? Um, That's the context I'm trying to put it in here. I, I talked about this sure. with James Anderson yesterday. He... He he said he agreed with me for the most part. You know, kind of said the same thing you did. Like, yeah, I could see them maybe doing it with Davis, like a healthy Kawhi Leonard, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it's like even then, I don't know. Like, I don't know. DJ suggested Jimmy Butler. I shot that down immediately. <laughs> that's that's just not not true. Like, you give them Harden, still wouldn't feel great about it. Certainly not Russ. No. Um, Giannis, I, Giannis and LeBron just that's just a weird. Fit. It feels like, like it yeah, clashes, that, right? Yeah. Even though I'd, I'd very much like LeBron James and the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I wouldn't say no. Right. I don't think the Bucks would either. No. Okay, so we can agree that if the Cavs were able to sign Anthony Davis between now and tomorrow night, they could maybe win the series. I think they would win the series. I'll, dis- okay. I'm, I'll, I'll disagree with All you. Right. I, think they, I think they would. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, wrap this up. Warriors in five is your official prediction? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say Warriors in four um finals mvp um durant i want to i think in our round table i said steph i could it's going to be one of those two right i mean i i think unless yeah unless clay has a i mean draymond's just not shooting the ball well enough that like 
and really not defending quite at the same level that I just couldn't really see him winning it it's going to be a duel I think it's going to kind of trade off games like Durant might go for 35 in game one then Curry might go for 40 in game two yeah um it's going to be something like that I mean I believe LeBron is the third best odds to win it um I mean that's that's, it makes sense I mean you kind of have to put him there yeah that's true I don't think we're going to see a uh MVP goes to the losing team though especially if it's a four or five game series I think yeah the only way that could happen is if everyone in the Warriors played so like so even you know if they all averaged like 19 points you know it'd be something that they just haven't done well here's the thing we that did happen in 2015 and this was pre-Durant obviously but like that's I mean the MVP went to Iguodala just because Because he he played like the the most slightly above average well and he was guarding LeBron yeah right but LeBron finished second in that voting. No one else even got votes. Steph didn't even get a vote. So, like, if it was going to happen, it was going to be that year, you know? Because like, the Cavs won two games. LeBron played about as well as you could ask. He did everything. He had memorable moments. Like, if it didn't happen that year, I couldn't see it happening this year, especially because one of Durant and Curry is going to play well enough, you know, that it would be yeah. weird to give it to a, a loser. You would think so. Um, oh, we got to talk about these LeBron side bets that you sent me. Yeah. So, uh, the odds that LeBron <laughs> records a triple-double in every game of the series, 2,500 to 1. I, I would... Those are longer odds than I would have thought. I right? am... I would be very... If I was in he Vegas right now... average a triple-double last finals? I have, I have 50 bucks in my wallet. I would... Yeah, screw it. I'd win two... It's, it's like 250 grand if you... I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... Even if you put, like five bucks on that that's not the worst yeah, bet. right like usually a bet like that i would i mean if it was 250 to one i would say okay that makes sense 2500 2500 i wonder if that's come down at all like i mean we're not professional betters by any means and that's no a but i would yeah i mean i think well here here's the next one okay. lebron scores 30 plus points in every game of the series is nine to one like i i mean i i would i think he'll do that but like to me like triple double in every game versus 30 in every game is like relatively close yeah, because I nine to one versus twenty five hundred. He to basically one. averaged a triple double. I know averaging average a triple, triple double and getting a triple double in every game is like two different things. But like, I I would I want to say I'm more confident he would get a triple double in every game than score thirty points in every game. But I don't think those two are that no, drastically no, no, no. different to me. No, I mean that's like you're saying it's like three or like thirty times more likely. I wouldn't three hundred yeah. times more likely. Right? Am I doing the math right on that? I don't know. Either way, I wouldn't. I don't think I would do. I don't think I would put money on the that nine to one odds. But I would put a. I would put money on the twenty five hundred to one that he gets a triple. I'm the type of better that's like, all right, I'm only willing to spend ten dollars here, so the odds got to be really good. Because I want. I don't want to just win five bucks. I want to win like. I want twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, I want. I I need this to be any bet I win needs to be a life changing bet. Um, the other ones that uh, that are posted, odds LeBron averages more than 42 minutes per game. That's two to five. That's like the lamest bet ever. Imagine, That's imagine tough because like a blowout. Yeah. I don't know. You get one overtime game, you're probably there for the series. That's true. Uh, over under LeBron, highest scoring game, 42 and a half. That's actually a good line. That's These tough. were tough. I, I looked at those two and the lowest scoring ones on there. Yeah. Um, that is hard. I would go over... But I wouldn't feel good about it at he's all. Got, how many 40-point games does he have in the playoffs? Like eight? I feel like he's going to have at least one 40-point game. And I would, you know, like there's a pretty decent chance that he gets to 43 in that game. Yeah. And then if it goes down to the wire yeah. and then Golden State has to foul. Right. 
LeBron always, even though he's not the best free throw shooter, or not, I shouldn't say always, usually wants to be the one to take those takes free the, throws. Takes the defensive three ones, takes the technicals. Yep. Yeah. So you figure if he's got 40 and the game's mm-hmm. close, then you know, balls in his hands yep. in that scenario. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up here. This was fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, as much as I hate to say it, I'm still, I'm still going to watch every second of every finals game. You know? oh, and yeah. I think most NBA fans will. You know, People will say this was inevitable. You know, there's all this fuss over the last month and a half of the playoffs, and it ended up being what everyone thought it would be. But I'm still going to watch. I still want to see LeBron in the finals. Yeah, I mean, there's a really good chance you see some LeBron do something that you, I mean, is, you've never seen anybody else do before. It's worth watching just for that. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.